Hello, hello. So today I'm going to explain to you how exactly, exactly, how a person loses weight or adjusts body weight using hypnosis. Because look, hypnosis is not like liposuction, right? If a person has a lot of fat in their body, you put a needle into the fat tissue and you suck out the fat, they will lose weight. If I pull out one pound of fat, they become one pound lighter because I pulled out the fat. So there are physical techniques, surgical techniques, through which we can remove weight from the body. We can cut out excess skin, cut out excess fat, and essentially remove the tissue from the body that way. So people lose weight because we removed the tissue. It is not, by the way, how bariatric surgery works. A lot of people ask me, but isn't it easier, you know, in order for you to, in order for a person to get bariatric surgery, like the stomach surgery, they need to be at a certain BMI, they need to be at a certain level of weight. So people have called me over the years and have asked me, can you make me gain weight so that I can qualify for the surgery? Because as I am, I'm overweight, but not overweight enough to the degree that the doctor will cut into my stomach and give me the surgery. So a lot of, not a lot, but a few people have asked me to help them gain weight so that they, they could then qualify. And I tell people, look, if I can help you gain weight, I might as well help you lose weight. And then people tell me, well, no, no, you don't understand. In my case, I, I don't lose weight that way. I actually need this surgery. And I'm so sorry when a person tells me that because they're profoundly misinformed. The way bariatric surgery causes a person to lose weight is because they end up eating less and or absorbing less of what they ate. Nothing else, nothing more. There are several styles of surgeries. There are different ways that this can be done. You can put a band around the stomach. You can cut into the stomach and remove a part of it. You can create a bypass to a small piece of the intestines. There are different techniques. There are different strategies that we can use to operate on a person's belly and cause them to lose weight. But in all cases, in all of the surgeries, we make the person incapable of literally swallowing more food, thus they eat less, and or a combination, we make it impossible for the body to absorb the nutrition. So whatever they ate goes right out. So and if they try to eat more, in both cases, different types of surgeries, they hurt like crazy and eventually throw up because it literally does not fit into their stomach. So you tell me, wait, but I thought they lost weight because we corrected what was wrong with their metabolism. No, 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 no. That's not the way it works. Ask your doctor that question if you're contemplating surgery. The, the, the mechanism whereby you end up losing weight is because as a result of the surgery, you will physically not be able to eat more. In other words, you're going to eat less. And because you eat less, you lose weight. Hypnosis works in a similar way. In other words, because we change your self-image, you end up eating less. And because you eat less, you lose weight. So it's a similar mechanism, except one, we give you a ton of belly ache if you're trying to eat more. And in the other case, we 
help you change your self-image so that you naturally, without the pain, make different decisions. So you tell me, how can doctors literally operate on a person with the sole purpose of inducing pain so that we eat less? Well, we do this all the time. First of all, we give rats in a laboratory electrical shock to train them into a particular behavior. So we induce pain to train lab animals into behaving a certain way. But the idea extends to human as well. You know that for alcoholics, there is one medication called uh, disulfiram, or I think Antabuse is also the trade name. And, uh, you know, when a person drinks alcohol, there's, there, there are a couple of enzymes that cause the liver to process, to metabolize the alcohol. So ethanol, which is the alcohol, comes in, an enzyme called alcohol dehydrogenase converts that to acetaldehyde. Then another enzyme, acetaldehyde dehydrogenase, dehydrogenase it removes hydrogen, um, converts that into acetic acid, which is basically vinegar, and we urinate vinegar, basically. So there are a couple of different enzymes there that convert the alcohol into vinegar, and so that you can excrete it, right? But acetaldehyde is something that causes a huge headache and, and other hungover types of symptoms, flushing, it gives you, it makes you feel horrible, basically. It's very toxic stuff, it makes you feel horrible. So what happens is this medication interferes with that enzyme. And if you interfere with the enzyme that breaks down A into B, you essentially accumulate A because I cannot break it down into B. I cannot transform A into B, therefore I have too much A in my hand. Well, this medication that so far interferes with this enzyme and you accumulate acetaldehyde, you get a huge headache. It doesn't really work on your level of addiction, how you see alcohol, how you think about your mother. It doesn't work on any of that stuff. It simply gives you a headache if you drink while taking the medication. In other words, it is pure punishment. By getting enough pain in there, presumably, eventually, we learn not to do what causes pain. And you might say to me, if you're not familiar with this, you might think, well, it's a little bit barbaric, because you might as well use an electrical shock, right? We might as well go at the place where the person is drinking and keep on giving them electrical shocks until they stop eating. And you say, no, that would be barbaric. We can't do that. Oh, but we can give them medication that does nothing more, nothing less than cause a huge headache if you drink. In other words, we can induce pain by taking a pill, but not by giving them an electrical shock. That we can only do to rats. I'm telling you, my friends, that is the same idea, and it's the same idea in weight loss. You cut into the stomach, you make it small, you put a band around it so the stomach cannot expand. You try to eat a little bit more than you would normally, you throw up and you get a huge bellyache. The pain will teach you not to eat so much anymore, and as a consequence of not eating so much anymore, you end up eating less. As a consequence of eating less, you end up losing weight. So, you ask me, but if I eight less to begin with, would I lose weight? Of course you would. It's, it's how you lost weight with the surgery. So, the difference is, when a person says, yeah, but I cannot eat less. You see, that person is so hypnotized. The addiction is so strong, right? If a person is addicted to alcohol or drugs, 
We call them an addict, but if they're obese, we don't think of them as being an addict. But it is an addiction. And just as in the case of alcohol, there is an illness there that needs to be treated. Of course, there are blood sugar imbalances, there are probably diabetes, there's all kinds of metabolic problems that cause them to believe that they cannot go without excess food, but, you know, inducing pain in their belly, cutting them open, cutting their stomach, you know, that may be a little bit too barbaric. And I'm not anti-surgery because the data shows that people who get the surgery end up, in some cases, eliminating diabetes, they end up living longer. It actually works. So I'm not against the procedure. I'm just saying that if a person needs the pain and the aggravation of surgery to eat a little less, you know, we have to ask ourselves, are they looking for some type of justified punishment in order to eat a little bit less? Because the way they lost the weight is by eating less. There was no other way to do it. Other than by removing the weight from the body physically, which is not bariatric surgery, the only other way to do it is by eating less. And they eat less by reducing the size of the stomach. But to get to that result, it's a ton of pain. We've got to cut them open. We've got to take them to the hospital. It's a, it's a huge deal. It's an ordeal. So if we're going to invest that much pain and aggravation into that kind of surgery, I ask myself, why not change your mind about yourself and about food? Is it really that difficult? Studies show that it's not that difficult. What happens is that for a lot of people who are severely overweight, if we talk about changing your mind, somehow they translate that into, you know, are you saying there's a problem with me? Whereas if I say, oh no, you're okay, we just need to do surgery on your belly, then it's okay. It's just that there's something wrong with my belly. It's not me. And the way I explain it in class, which is the same way I'm explaining it right now, a lot of people think I'm being sarcastic or silly, but I'm not. It is exactly as I'm explaining. If you can just eat a little bit less, you will lose weight with or without the surgery. The surgery makes it painful for you to overeat. So why am I saying all of this? Well, here's the thing. The reason why we overeat is the same reason why we have any other kind of addiction. We believe at that moment that we actually need it and we cannot do without it. But that's just a belief. And then people say, no, but you don't understand. I feel hungry. I feel lightheaded. I feel like I'm going to pass out. I know. You probably won't, though, because after the surgery, you end up eating less and you still don't pass out, right, for the most part. So as you can tell, we're very resilient and we're capable of handling hunger for extended periods of time. We just don't want to feel that discomfort. If you want to lose weight, the way, a good way to do it is to eat a little less and also to eat differently, maybe eating such a way that it doesn't raise insulin levels as much. And so that translates into a low glycemic diet, eating a little less carbs and less sweets, you know, so that insulin doesn't go up as much because insulin is the storage hormone. And when insulin is high, the body's storing fat, not pulling fat from the tissues. So in order to pull fat from the tissues, in other words, in order to lose fat, we need to keep our insulin on the average, on a 24-hour average, we need to keep it low. 
When we eat, invariably, insulin goes up. But if I can have a short prandial period, meaning if I can have a meal and stop eating until the next meal, then about an hour or two <clears throat> after the meal, insulin is low again. And for the whole period, the body is pulling energy from the fat tissue. The great problem is that they started telling people not to eat fat and protein because they thought that caused heart disease. And by telling that to people, people would eat a whole bunch of carbs and then feel starving, starved after two hours. They would feel hungry. So then they start telling people, oh, you're going to have snacks and you have to have meals in between meals. And I remember when I got to college, they used to tell us you're going to have six meals a day. That is how the diabetes epidemic was created. That's how they created insulin resistance and everything else. It's completely atrogenic. It was created because two generations ago, the problem was not as severe. It was, it's a lifestyle disease that was created by recommendations to eat low-fat, low-protein, and many, many meals a day. That recipe is the recipe. That's how you create diabetes. That's exactly how you create a disease. And it's reversible. The way you reverse all of that is by eating less frequently and less of these carbs so that you don't have such a wide fluctuation in insulin levels so that the body has an opportunity to pull fat from the tissues and that only happens when insulin levels are low, not when it's high. When it's high, the body's in storage mode. So this is why people, when they try to do a diet, they eat a little bit less for a few days but they eat in such a way, they take snacks and all of this stuff, so insulin keeps stays high because they're always eating. So the body cannot pull energy from the fat stores, so they go cold and they become lethargic. There's no energy. <clears throat> so after a few days of feeling hungry, lethargic, and cold, they say, screw this, and they go back to eat the ice cream. It doesn't work. So the key then is to retrain the body to pull energy from the fat stores. That only happens biochemically when insulin levels are low. And insulin levels are low a couple of hours or beyond after you wait. But if you eat again two hours later, insulin goes high again. So you have to extend the period between meals so that for that period between meals, insulin is low. And you say, yeah, but where do I get the energy? You get the energy from the fat that's in the body. Again, the body can only pull fat when insulin is low. So if you snack, insulin stays high, we cannot pull the fat. And you know what happens is that a person will eat a candy bar, insulin is high, I get a little bit of a sugar rush, but there's no energy there other than in the candy bar. And then as insulin goes high, blood sugar goes low again, they go hypoglycemic, and a few minutes after the candy bar, they initially get a high, but eventually a low. And so they learn that by eating the candy bar, the snacks, they get a high again. So that's how we create the addiction. People are having, you know, 10 snacks a day, and they're teaching this to the kids. You gotta be snacking all the time, and that's exactly how you create obesity and diabetes. It's, it's really unfortunate. And you say to me, oh, come on. I had a student tell me once, oh, come on, if that were true, how come my doctor never told me that? 
All we have to do is open up Google and uh, look it up. It's all over the place. Science is quite clear on this. I don't know why your doctor hasn't told you that, but that's true. And so the key then is to keep insulin low. And that happens when you eat less frequently. People, people, people suffer. They say, yeah, but if I eat less frequently, let's say two meals a day, I go, I get dizzy, I get hungry, I get this, I get that. Well, I understand, and I'm not suggesting you do that. First of all, I'm not suggesting you do anything. I'm simply sharing a piece of information with you. I do think you should work with a nutritionist, with your doctor. I think, you know, it's, it, it's a complex issue, particularly if you're not healthy. But not everybody is ready to change their diet today. Look, to go back to the example of alcohol, if a person is a severe alcoholic and we simply cut out the alcohol, they go into a problem called DT, delirium tremens. You know, they go into a, a type of convulsion, basically, and literally, the person can die. So nowadays, we give them medication at the hospital if that's if the person is in that situation to calm them down. But in the old days, before the medication was available, the way to treat that person was with a little bit more alcohol to wean them off of the alcohol. Experience shows that this guy is shaking, about to die. Let him drink a little bit. He'll calm down, but he doesn't drink as much and gradually drink less and less and less and eventually won't be an alcoholic anymore. The example here, the, the analogy here, is that if a person is obese and they're eating a bunch of, you know, whatever, sugary snacks all day long, whatever, and if I say to you, okay, you're only going to have half a steak once a day, that's not going to work. I understand that. It wouldn't work for me. It wouldn't work for you. It's completely understandable. We have to make gradual changes that are sustainable. So we have to begin to modify the way we eat gradually, but with the eventual goal of eating less frequently and a smaller amount. We can get there. It's not immediate. It's not necessarily immediate. Not everybody can make those kinds of switches or, 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 or it hurts a lot. They feel very uncomfortable and the discomfort causes them to default back to the old way of eating. It is not different in the way that I'm explaining from any other drug addiction. If you look at a person with, let's say, heroin addiction when they don't have the drug, they suffer quite a bit. They shake, they sweat. Look at a person who is obese, who is used to eating a lot of sweets and they don't have their, their sweet that day. That's exactly what they look like. It's a different mechanism, you know, the, the, the blood sugar and all this, but they look, they're sweating, they're suffering, they have a headache. It is very, very similar from the outside. They're suffering. It is like an addiction and we can't just cut it all out. Oh, come on, be strong, cut it all out. No, 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 we got to go gradually and win you off of that kind of way of eating so that you can later get to a position where you can eat a little less and less frequently so that you can give your body a chance to have low insulin levels. And during that period, the body is pulling fat from, from, your, from your fat stores. So I don't ask you to do anything. I think that's irresponsible. Um, but I do ask you to look up more information on this. You're going to see that what I'm explaining to you is pure science. It's known. And of course you can overcome the battle against the bulges. Of course you can adjust your weight. I have, uh, and you can too. Of course it's possible. Just a little bit of understanding of what's happening there 
And uh, one of two things, either a ton of willpower and perseverance or hypnosis to change the way you see yourself so that it feels natural to you to start making adjustments to the way you eat and function. Both ways will work. One is easy and pleasant, and the other way is going to take you a lot of perseverance, and it might take you longer because you keep on defaulting back, but eventually you'll get it right. All right? So, lessons to all of you, and don't ever give up on your goals. If you have the goal and the dream of having a slim, trim body, stick with it because you're going to get there. All right? And do it in a way that is sustainable. To the extent that it's possible, remember, your body is a beautiful thing that was, you know, that, that, that works. Your body is not the problem there. All right? So, before we try to modify the body, see if we can modify ourselves a little, and the body will thank you for that and will follow suit. The body will change when you change. Let's, let's, let's think about it that way first. Blessings to all of you. Thank you.